of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, we've walked into yours, if that makes sense, because I'm fairly certain not all of you own a gin joint, and if you do, we're not <laughs> physically there. That didn't make much sense. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show for an absolute monster that we have today. It's not quite October yet, so we're not into actual monsters on the main show. <laughs> but this is a, a monster of a movie, as I would describe it, because we seldom do such enormous movies yeah. me, on this show. We have been doing lately, of course, our little train of best picture winners, which has been, I think, the most consistently main, major kind of huge name movies that we've ever done on It's a Wonderful Podcast. We always like to throw in slightly smaller ones, slightly more under the radar Movies. Yeah, we keep it low-key over here, usually. Um, or the kind of nice middle ground between, this is pretty, you know, this is pretty A-list, but it's maybe not Casablanca, which is yeah. the movie <laughs> we're doing today. We are covering today how we are even going to start talking about Casablanca. But, well, I don't really know, but we will certainly give it <laughs> a good celebratory go, because obviously there's way too much to get into in terms of this movie. It is perhaps the most famous old Hollywood movie ever. Yeah. It is one of the most iconic movies ever. That's not just old Hollywood. That is throughout movie history since then before old Hollywood, everybody who knows what a movie is knows what Casablanca is, and everybody can give me at least one quote. You don't have to have seen this movie, and that is the true definitive reason as to why Casablanca remains so important, so uh, seminal, and so necessary to keep celebrating, so necessary to watch as movie fans, because everybody, whether they've seen it or not, knows it. And yes. knows it pretty well. Yes, it's very much like a Wizard of Oz situation where your casual film fan, uh, this will probably be one of the oldest movies that they are aware of or have heard of. Um because, yeah, I think a casual movie fan doesn't really know too much about classic films. But this is definitely one of those those movies that bridges that gap. Um, like you said, even if they don't really know anything about the movie, which that was me a few years ago before I watched it, where you kind of have this idea of what it is based off of these famous iconic lines and scenes. Um, because every kind of scene that I knew about this movie was um, in in Rick's place. So yeah. I never <laughs> knew what the story was, you know, that it was kind of this war-torn climate or anything about that. 
you know, in my limited knowledge of the film before I had watched it for the first time just a few years ago. Um, so I think that's definitely speaks to just how big this movie is that most people, casual moviegoers, people who don't even watch classic films can at least have some concept of, of a movie from this time. So, and this yeah. falls into that category. It's certainly a, a starter old movie if we yeah. were putting it on on that kind of if we were putting it's like your wizard of oz your citizen kane you're gone with the wind kind I, of I, I would i would show this to someone way before i would show them citizen kane by the way yes I it's really just one of those would. movies that are in the kind of zeitgeist of, of yeah of film the perfect three starter old Hollywood movies, you've mentioned the other one, which is Wizard of Oz. It is yeah. the perfect starter old Hollywood movie. Casablanca's one, and I think Singing in the Rain's one. Yeah, and, and And those are kind of my three top... Accessible. If you want to get yeah. into... Very, very accessible. If you want to get into old movies and old Hollywood start here and just work your way around yes because... and that's why i think i like talking about the older things that like maybe people don't really know or or are really low-key um because then we're kind of getting into genres uh, of classic films that people can relate to like romance films and rom-coms and and thrillers yeah. and things like that um but so when you get into these bigger ones yeah you definitely want to focus on things that feel uh tangible and very watchable for people because yeah while gone with the wind and citizen kane are also films that kind of fit in that category of being known by a wider public they are pretty heavy to to kind of throw yeah. at a, a a new person kind of coming into to classics i think casablanca definitely for, is, is a for, better for two bit. different reasons actually with gone yeah. with the wind and, uh, and season yes. king gone with the wind is obviously remarkably long and, and yes. epic and also has its problematic elements citizen kane is innovative and, and trying new things and quite you know technologically advanced for the time so it, it keeps you on your toes it's narratives very um it, it warrants close watching it warrants close kind of study in its narrative that is uh interview style and flashbacks and all these kind of yeah, very yeah. unique things casablanca is at its heart a pulpy war romance yeah but we do also get about it but we do also get some interesting structural things in terms of how they lay out the story. Um, even, you know, with the opening setup, just to kind of get into it, um, it it's being very informational. It's being very, um, um, why am I blanking on the Expositional? word? Expositional? Yes, yes. Um, and, and giving you a sense of the climate kind of being this news report almost telling us the climate in this very narrative voice that you would hear in a movie theater at that time kind of giving you news about um, wartime issues. So we as an audience are kind of sat here getting this news bulletin so we kind of know how dire the world is in the in this time period so it's a great setup to yeah. where we are and kind of unexpected if you are somebody walking into this movie kind of expecting the romance to kind of be front and center right at the beginning or something like that um well really if you're expecting the romance to be front and center as a romance you're not 
in the right movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it always it's a very it's a very unusual situation that Casablanca has been obviously remembered and uh, for decades and decades and decades now by everybody as cinema's great romance one of yeah. movies great romances and it, it's it's not it's it, it is but they don't end up together you know they also very little... are there's also an obstacle in them even being together it's yeah, kind of an affair very... almost situation in low key you know <laughs> yeah but there's very little of them even liking each other actually yeah. in the movie yeah. And all those scenes of them actually liking each other come in the flashbacks to Paris, really, yeah. don't they? Yeah. It's a very... So it's an unusual situation on that front. It's also, I think, worth keeping in our minds as we as we get into this conversation, the question of, why is it this movie that has become what it has become? Why has Casablanca become Casablanca you know yeah. mm -hmm. it's worth just keeping that I don't think it's an easily answerable question but I think it's an amalgamation of so many different things and like I said at its heart it's a pulpy war romance yes. so it's a very easy it's a very almost cliche type of story it's actually when you think about it full of cliches to the point where they become not cliche I, I heard i watched a great little video um on this i forget the the youtube channel now that it was on unfortunately um but it, it used a quote that said something along the lines of two cliches make us laugh a hundred cliches move us to tears and I think that epitomizes what Casablanca does. It uses every single perfect archetype of every single character, of every single situation, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. of every single narrative plot device, and uses them absolutely perfectly in the tightest possible script you've ever seen. It's 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 one of the tightest movies you could wish for. Yeah. You could you would be you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is a is a two hour plus movie. No, this is a crisp hundred minutes. Yes, this is so tight, so clean, with so much going on. Little interpersonal relationships, char a character and a cast list that is long, and has real strength in depth for the for the you know limited time that some of them are on screen peter laurie is in this movie for like the first yes minutes and then <laughs> i completely he forgot dies. He yes i completely forgot he was in it for such a short period of time um i think this was the first time i saw him in anything and i knew his face from these like, caricatures of him in animation like old cartoons and things like that um even this kind of impression that Robin Williams kind of did of him in in Aladdin and that was kind of all I knew of this man so finally seeing him on screen I, I got the sense of him and then we would ultimately do M on the podcast so um more familiar with him but 
in my mind, I always thought he was in it more until I finally watched it. Um, and yes, I, again, what you're saying about, you know, the movie being very tight, speaking to what I was saying about really having a solid structure as well, opening with this uh, <clears throat> very expositional um, kind of almost scary opening, kind of telling us the war-torn climate and you know the fear of all the people that we're looking at and the desperation um and then we get into the setup of our characters and then the flashback is very smoothly kind of fit in taking us back to the present day and now giving us this scope and understanding of of who these people are and their the interpersonal relationships like you mentioned so i really like the structure you know adding to the tightness and smoothness of how the story is told and and how and when we get information. And even that opening scene, um, the first time we kind of get into um, Rick's place and we see these little conversations, we circle the room, seeing these different conversations, really filling in the information with just um, kind of watching these people converse and, and talk and make deals and, um, you know, all of that going on. So I love getting story beats through our characters in just kind of these passing scenes it's really well done. yeah and that 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 is exactly what you get you get so many different people's stories so many different people's emotions little unnamed characters that end up coming back into the movie in half passing moments but you yeah. recognize them from earlier scenes and things like that it is a phenomenal script a phenomenal screenplay i always say that high noon is the tightest and my favorite kind of screenplay just for being the tightest movie i've ever seen yeah i i love obviously i am a huge fan of old hollywood why have i done 281 episodes of this show if i'm not a massive fan of old hollywood yeah yet high noon and Casablanca are definitely my two favorite scripts purely for yeah. efficiency. Like you, that th nothing. So much is going on with so many characters, and not a second is wasted. Not a second is under or overdone. It is nailed on perfect and it is no wonder that the script was one of three oscar wins that casablanca yeah. did have alongside its director michael curtiz who himself is kind of great because he's a very he had a very varied career did a whole bunch of you know wide variety of movies and always found kind of unique different ways of of doing certain uh, genres, I think, another yeah. great favourite of, of his, of mine, is The Adventures of Robin Hood, oh. Errol Flynn, 1938, okay. um, which was a very, very early episode of this show. Um, and he's just a phenomenal adventure movie, unlike the uh, swashbucklers we'd seen up to that point, of which Michael Curtis was also involved in the swashbuckler genre as well. Yeah. Um, but he, he directs the hell out of this movie. And of course, with us being on a train of best picture winners, this was uh, the best picture 
1943, yet it had its premiere in December 1942. Ooh, controversial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it a 1942 movie? I've always considered it a 1942 movie. And I will be considering it a 1942 movie when I title this episode. Okay. But it's a strange one because it, it, it does win. If you look at a, a list of Best Picture winners with their year date beside yeah. them, you will see two 1942s and no 1943s because Mrs. Miniver, which we, of <laughs> course, covered two weeks ago, yeah. won for 1942. And this movie won for 1943, uh, um, yet had its premiere in 1942. That's a little weird thing about uh, okay. about Casablanca. But of course, it's another wartime movie made during the war about a, you know, it's about a kind of refugee crisis, really. Yes, and really being touted as a romance more than kind of the the more prominent subject matter, which also Miss Miniver was. We did a reaction to the trailer of Miss Miniver, and, you know, it was talking about that film being like a great romance film. <laughs> and it, it was in its romantic it part. Yeah, exactly, but kind of making that a focus when it's really more on kind of the wartime aspects. It, it definitely kind of similar to to uh, Casablanca in that way. That, But that's what I mean when I say that the, the balance of Casablanca is so pinpoint because at its heart, it's a pulpy war romance, yet it's also a super meaningful, really artistically impressive, beautifully yes, shot, yeah. full of technical brilliance movie while having such a b-movie narrative but treated as the a-list the, the a-list of the a-list it is treated as that and when those things are elevated to this level you get something really really special i mean it's helped so much by the the vast array of phenomenal performances in this yeah. movie we've briefly mentioned peter laurie who shows up as a sniveling little criminal for the yeah. first eight <laughs> minutes a murderer or someone who at least gets arrested for murderer for murder uh, but a struggling kind of purgatory person himself because that is the yeah. nature of everyone in casablanca the city in this movie and the movie. Every one of these characters is in this purgatory state yeah. within the war. Casablanca, the city itself, is in that state. Um, it has not yet been... Well, it's, it's French Morocco, so it's owned by France, yet there's not been a direct invasion of, of North Africa by the Nazis yet. Um, it's a very unusual place and, and time and a very specific place and time as well. It's also set just before the US even gets involved in World War II. So our absolute lead of the movie, of course, Ray Comfrey Bogart, yeah. doesn't, you know, there's no... 
there's almost no choosing sides from him. No, he, everybody's he's so yeah, yeah, everybody's so kind of remarkably independent simply because they have to be simply because that's the safest way of being um although bogart rick of course he's kind of independent from a i've fallen out with the world and i'm just gonna be maddeningly cynical all the time yeah and when and when he's when is bogart at his best when he is at his most cynical janine Yes, and I mean, that plays into something I mentioned to you, um, which was just weird, because I don't think I felt this way the first time I watched it, but this time I watched it, for whatever reason, he was giving me this, like, later side career Bruce Willis stoicism. <laughs> you know, Bruce okay, Willis and things yes, like okay. Looper and Unbreakable, um, you know, the more quiet... Um, still thoughtful but very cynical um you know strong silent type bruce willis for whatever yeah. reason i was getting that sensibility from from humphrey bogart this time around watching it <laughs> i think i think it's something that bogart consistently does really well although when he kind of dials it up to you know, like like he does in this movie. I think I've I've watched quite a lot of Bogart movies recently. Yeah, and he's always playing some sort of, um, whether it's a wise cracker, but not like a, a funny wise cracker. Like I always got that cynicism within him. Yet this, there is a real pain in his performance. There's a real depth of variety in yeah. his performance. He's so far away from being the kind of perhaps one note Humphrey Bogart always plays himself, quote-unquote, idea that people may have of him. Yeah. In this movie, no, it's so much different. I think you can liken his performance here to something more like in a lonely place, where yeah. he's, it, it's clear that he's... He's not here to play against Bacall, for example, or as great as he is in those movies, as, as phenomenal as he is in those movies. You know, they are somewhat similar in terms of how he's presenting himself. Maybe Dark Passage, obviously quite different, but the other three, I think, are fairly similar. And um, maybe something like Dead Reckoning also falls in that yeah. idea of being quite similar. Um, but Casablanca, there's more of, there's more pain to him. Just like there's more kind of violence, there's more temper, there's more darkness to him in, in a lonely place. You know, there's, there's more depression to him yeah. in that real just nastiness about who he is. In, in a lonely place, there's a real sadness about the the place his mind 
is at. Yeah, and, it's and a very the, it's it... <laughs> his mentality in Casablanca. There's a yeah. real, real sadness to it. Yeah, choice of words. It, he feels like he's in a lonely place. <laughs> in... Right, he kind of does. <laughs> yes, and he acts and I... very much like that. He keeps people at a distance. He keeps yes, himself he, at a distance he, from. He doesn't everyone. want to drink with guests that invite him, and you always feel like it's not just this kind of cold. I just don't want to choose a side. I don't want to get involved. Yes, he's playing to that, but he also is playing to that underlying, you know, there's a reason he's like this. Yeah. And whatever it is, you are implored to feel for him. And something in his performance makes you feel for him before you even know why he is this way. And you get the sense that he is this way because something happened to him. Something, you know, very heartbreaking yeah. happened to him. And now I'm thinking I just watched Sin City before watching this. So maybe like the black and white blue Bruce Willis cynicism performance in Sin City is what was giving me that comparative vibe. But I mean, in um, a strange way, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think they look too dissimilar. No, no. So perhaps that is playing on your mind as well. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thought. I don't know why. Willis comparison. I was watching it and I was like, who is he reminding me of? Like, what? what?" And then I was like, I think it's Bruce Willis. (laughs) It was weird. Um, I'm just, I'm so glad that after having watched it now, because I was, I was admittedly trying to fight you a little bit on whether to cover this movie. <laughs> like it's too vague. Because <laughs> I can see, yeah, I was saying like, it's, it's so known, it's so obvious yeah. for an old movie podcast as ours to 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 be talking about Casablanca, but also we're on episode two hundred and eighty-one, and we haven't done it yet, so. What do we, we keep might... it a big <laughs> yes. one? No, because we know what we like to do on the milestone episodes. We like to switch it up a bit and do more of a an over a different style of fun thing. Yeah. Rather than just kind of one special movie. Is now as good a time as any without us being on our best picture trend. Another 40s best picture, yeah. of course. I are the 1940s the greatest year for uh, the greatest decade for best picture winners an argument a strong argument i think janine could be made that they might very well just be i think alongside perhaps the 70s yeah yeah you 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 know you're fighting a bit i think between those two i think from the top of my head no other decade comes close yeah to the 40s and the 70s and now of course having maybe i've got a bit of 40s bias given that i've watched a good handful of them recently yes and i think hasn't everything we've covered in the series been from the 40s no apart from from here to eternity (laughs) Ah, which was right at the beginning of this whole little trend um which was 53 but no i think it, it shows just how great they are that we wanted to you know we were drawn to the 40s best pictures uh, above anything else yes okay some of them have been obviously first time watches in fact i think this one is the only one of this trend that was not a first time watch for either of us yeah um 
and you know we would have happily accepted everybody just leave listening to it's a wonderful podcast now had this been our first time ever watching casablanca we wouldn't have really been able to be credible old movie people yes i mean i do have some gaps i will say but um this we all have gaps Janine. <laughs> yes well of course we have a whole show about your gaps <laughs> um, <laughs> but um i will say i think I, I might have needed to get my card revoked had I not just finally watched this movie a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but I will say though, I will say this is why I'm glad that you uh, you, you you won the battle, and we are covering it yeah. because I hadn't seen it in probably a decade. Oh my gosh! And I, I after having watched it obviously recently for the show. I'm never, ever, ever going to leave it even close to as long ever, ever again. Yeah. I will keep watching this movie. A decade ago, perhaps, I was watching it as a, a, a movie fan trying to perhaps get into old movies and just say, oh, yeah, this is a very famous movie. As we've talked about earlier on yeah. in the show, let's watch Casablanca. Um, okay, that's... Casablanca watched, check out the little checklist. Yeah. Now I'm watching it as a, a thorough old movie fan for the first time in 10 years as yeah. a thorough old movie fan and getting so much more out of it, realising that it goes right to the top of my very favourite uh, tight script list alongside High Noon. Um, and Everything about it is just absolutely pitch perfect. We've barely covered the story of this movie, and it is a famous story. We, of course, will get into that very, very shortly. But I'm just so glad that we are actually taking this time to really properly celebrate Casablanca yeah. um, in our own in our own excitable way. Yes. Um, I did have a question for you in watching this movie as well. A question. <laughs> um, just, I don't know if you want to wait till we kind of get to that plot point, but generally my thought was, um, you know, you've expressed on this show and Morgan hasn't seen your, um, I don't know, lack of patriotism towards certain kind of, um, you know, uh, <laughs> those British types of things. <laughs> those well, types of themes. Well, even American patriotism is a lot for you to kind of swallow at times, or that's because it's all, always over exaggerated. Yes. So this film definitely has, you know, in my opinion, a, a beautiful um, showing of of patriotism. So you know, in terms of how I've seen you view patriotism on screen in, in other aspects um I, I was curious to kind of get your feelings on on the patriotism expressed in this film <laughs> you are never ever going to get it out of me you're trying to get it out of me that i don't like the lamasios scene i'm not saying I, I i was definitely not implying that I'm just generally saying, you know, in other films where it gets very patriotic, whether it be British patriotism, American patriotism, I've taken back to Independence Day and you, you're kind of scoffing and, ugh, 
<laughs> at kind of, you know, the big speech that everybody is obsessed with from that film and you very much not being as moved as, as others um, and, and things like that in films um, being a very over the top for you, not feeling um, any kind of sense of connection to that feeling uh, generally. So that is what just had me questioning as I watched. I want to know Morgan's thoughts on this scene and how this stand of and show of patriotism was was done in this film in comparison to kind of others. I don't mind talking about this scene now. <laughs> and for God's sake, let's get this out of the way. I think it's a beautiful scene. I think it's one of the most emotionally effective scenes in movie history. That does that goes. I mean, I was going to say it goes without saying. It doesn't go without saying because I've just said it. Yeah. But it really, it, it is that. It absolutely is that. So you're not tricking me into a. I'm my not. Usual, I'm not, I'm not saying you're trying to trick me. I promise. But, <laughs> let's have this let's ha I don't mind having this conversation now because where this scene obviously comes from giving a bit more story context of course we're dealing with people trying to get uh, visas um to to leave Casablanca to leave French Morocco to go to the US to escape Europe to escape the war yeah. Um, people of all various nationalities, um, but of course there's a lot of French influence, given that this is, at the time, obviously French Morocco. Um, there's an awful lot of French going on. Our um, kind of thir third... Who's third build in the movie? Paul Henry is third build in the movie. Claude Rains is fourth build in the movie. I've always got to remember that because I always think of Claude Rains before Paul Henry yeah. when it comes to Casablanca. And and I shouldn't because Paul Henry as Victor Laszlo is really kind of the core of the whole movie yeah. because he is the bridge between your Bogart and Bergman. And we've not even mentioned Ingrid Bergman's name in half an hour of this show yet, which is scandalous. But there you go. Yeah. Um, he is the bridge between Bogart, Bergman, and the, the more uh, melodramatic elements of the movie, and the more uh, kind of real-world wartime emotional drama of yeah. the movie, because he is a freedom fighter, he's a kind of radical writer, and he's someone that the Nazis basically want to get rid of, but can't just outright get rid of um, yeah. they have to go through proper proceedings and all this kind of stuff um and he obviously butts heads with um our our nazi character who we have in the movie played by comrade veit who is wonderful um yeah. because conrad veit himself was stunningly anti-nazi would frequently play Nazis <laughs> just to kind of show how bad they were. Yeah. Obviously, he's a very, very famous, very notable name in, in German movies, uh, what you call the German Weimar period of movies mm -hmm. in the kind of 20s mainly, um, that gave you 
you know, he he was Cesare in 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 the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. He is the mm. somnambulist. He is the man who laughs. He you know the the influence on Batman's Joker. Yeah. Um, he is a titan of that period of of movies. A titan of old German movies um, and silent movies in general, but playing. Um, playing in this movie as really I think he's great. I think I think he's just wonderful because he does bring a certain almost scary calmness to it. Where he never does anything outright horrible. No. Yet there's always an implication of serious consequence. Yeah, it's very much like a him. yeah, it's very much like a Christoph Waltz his character. Um, little bit, little yeah. bit, yes. Um, in Inglorious Bastards, very much not being, you know, shouty or quick to anger. What makes him so scary is this calm that he has when he's you know saying and doing these horrible things, calling out these orders, and just this, you know, yeah, the scary calm. I think that's more frightening than you know, being shouty and, and, you know, mad, yeah. almost, you know, um, and going back to the Victor Laszlo character, you say he's a bridge between our two kind of leads, but he's also an obstacle. And, oh, he is. Absolutely. You know, it, as someone who loves rom-coms and, you know, though, you know, and, and romance films and those stories always kind of being filled with these tropes, when you have kind of this three-way, love triangle dynamic you always have to have one of the choices be kind of obviously wrong so i love that this you know victor laszlo character is a freedom fighter he loves ilsa he's a good man and um so so it, it's it's very much kind of clouding any kind of decision you know she could make it's clouding it for us because you know you want it to be easy for her to pick Humphrey Bogart but like I love it when you are in this uh love triangle situation and you don't have a bad person in the situation um no I, I think it's a I, much more interesting than having an obvious kind of asshole character that's just easy to hate and easy for you to want her to be with the other guy I like that they don't make this choice. So. E yeah, I, I like that they don't make the choice easy on her because then it doesn't no, make it uh, easy on us either. No, it, it, it certainly doesn't. I really, really want to get more into into Ladslow and that kind of, as you say, love triangle very, very shortly. Um, just to go back to, you know, your, your patriotic scene. Yeah. We, we've gone through the movie. Plot has happened. We'll get onto that. Don't worry about that. We're talking about this particular scene. Yeah. Basically, Conrad Veidt and and his kind of Nazis, um, Major Strasser, as he's known in the movie, um, they are at Rick's Cafe Americana, and they start playing uh, Nazi songs. Uh, you know, the Nazi songs, yeah. yeah. Essentially, that's what they're doing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and Victor Laszlo, obviously, very suddenly, kind of everyone's feeling a little bit uncomfortable at this, but they can't really do anything because, you know, fear and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Victor Laszlo goes straight up to the to the main house band and just says, play La Masseuse, the French national anthem. Play it now. Do it now. Play it. So they start playing it. And gradually, every patron of, of Rick's just stands up, blasts out the French national anthem, completely drowning out the noise. Yes, the house of... band. Even, I love that nod. He looks to Rick before he you know he tells him to play it and then he looks to rick and and rick gives him the nod and to see this kind of decisive almost choosing of a side from rick when we you know he has very much proven and shown throughout the film to not want to choose sides to not want to show allegiances and when you know he sees what's happening and he sees victor tell them to play this song looks to rick and rick gives him the the go ahead it's just a nod, but it's so powerful for that character's development and showing, you know, him kind of getting back to this, you know, rebellious nature that we saw him have in the flashback. It it it, it is it is a it is an integral moment yeah. in in Rick's character journey in this movie, and we've not even talked about. Very, we've talked about very little of what gets him to that <laughs> yeah. point, but it is absolutely integral. But as as a scene out of context of the movie itself, it's so phenomenal in context of the movie because it is this turning point of of decisiveness yeah. for Rick. It's this turning point of real understanding of of the actual plight yeah. of these people the struggle of these people it's a real moment of clarity yeah, for him powerful. and changes the trajectory of the rest of the movie it's stunning in that way and it's stunning out of context as well yeah simply because we, we've got to remember again like we have to remember from mrs miniver this is a movie that's coming out during World War Two, being about the struggles of people dealing with World War Two, and to have that defiant sense of you're not going to take my life from me, which yeah. is what that scene says. It is you can try and take over, but I, you know, we will all be French. We will all always be French. That's not something you, you can take away from us. Yeah. yeah. And it is such a powerful scene, um, not least of which because so many of this cast, um, certainly so many of the, this is a strange point as well, certainly so many of the people that actually played the Nazis were um fleeing germans and german jews and things like yeah. this mm -hmm. um you often get that because they're kind of like, like i said with conrad Veidt, he kind of wants to he wanted to kind of caricature and and make these almost look, make these people look as bad as possible you know kind almost, of yeah exactly yeah. it is i think it's a great way of doing it really yeah um but it, it is, and you get these close-ups of teary-eyed people just belting out the anthem. Yeah. And it is 
it is wonderful and it's incomparable to something as corny as independence day <laughs> okay <laughs> because it, it actually matters in yes the real and, world. It, and it's this beautiful sense of rebellion it's something so small that you wouldn't think you know is, is a way to fight something like what is happening to these people but in the context of what we've seen um it's so powerful that it gets these, you know, German soldiers to kind of get shaken up. So yeah, I, I love the re- I love the rebellion of that moment, and I love just that little nod in that scene, giving Rick so much development. And you know, here I am, always constantly <laughs> making these modern comparisons, um, where you kind of stay in the past, and I'm always like, "Well, it reminds me of something in this movie or this thing that came out, you know, today." Um, you know, it, it's definitely giving me this sense of Andor. And his character, kind of in this comparison of Rick in the show Andor, you know, we've seen him in um, his movie where... Yes, in Rogue One. Yes, he is this this person who who definitely believes in the cause. And then we go back to Andor and we see him being very jaded and cynical and not really wanting to pick a side and seeing kind of how the people around him are affected, but really still trying to keep a distance from it and not wanting to get involved. But we know who he's going to become. So with a scene like this and with the flashback, we kind of see almost an opposite thing that we see Rick was and or <laughs> in Rogue One, but now we're seeing him be and or in the beginning of his story, very much kind of jaded and cynical and, and, and so now it's kind of this full circle where now we're seeing Rick, you know, slowly get back to who he was then. Um, yeah. I, I, which is but a really you get the, cool thing. Yeah. And this is, this is just the, the so very kind of internally interesting thing about the way the conflict within this movie arises. Because seemingly, like, you, you begin the movie in a state, like we say, yes, okay, Casablanca is in, a, is, is in a purgatory kind of state. Yeah. Yet, it's kind of, it, it's steady. There's nothing that ever goes wrong enough, yet there's nothing that ever goes right enough. You know, it's yeah. just steady, you kind of know what you're getting, something weird might happen, but ultimately... Things will just keep plodding along, which is is helpful when you've got a uh, leader of police like Claude Rains, Captain Renault in this movie, yeah. who is the biggest opportunist busybody yes. in any movie ever. <laughs> and and he it's a, does it's not a fun... care yes. who he he does not care who he backstabs. He does not care who he is on the side with. He does not care what he says to whom. He does not care if he just sits down in the middle of somebody else's private conversation. He doesn't care what he does, and he always does it with a smile and a laugh on his face. He's actually the worst character in this movie as being an actual human being. Yet I love him in this movie. (laughs) Yes. He's so low-key hilarious. Yes. I can't help but absolutely <laughs> love Captain Renault in this movie. And yes, okay, 
by the time we, we kind of get to the end, there is, even on his part, more of a an understanding of of reason of the right thing to do the, yes. the nobility that we get more so we get you know we're more interested in in rick developing uh though you know the nobility we once saw him have in the flashbacks into paris and all this kind of stuff something that he has lost yet you know louis captain renault comes along that line as well but is what you know where rick is distant from everybody louis up in everybody's business yes no they are two sides of the same coin rick is perfectly content or you know convinces himself that he's perfectly content not being you know playing no side whereas <laughs> this captain is perfectly happy playing all sides yeah. So <laughs> they're definitely two opposites of the same coin that will ultimately kind of get to the same place in terms of, you know, discovering or, or really opening up to what's right. Um, uh, before I forget as well, it's been a, a reasonable while since we've had an inductee into the Mustache Hall of Fame. I, <laughs> I would very much like to put Claude Rains in yes, there. Yes, let's do it. As, as Louis <laughs> Renault. Um, and perhaps Conrad Veidt as as Major Strasser as well, who who had a, a nice mustache. But it's whether we allow two mustaches for the same one, movie. Yeah, I don't know um, what those rules I, are. I, I'm I'm happy to put them both in, but certainly, certainly Claude Rains as as Louis Renault needs to need, needs to go in the Mustache Hall of Fame because I just. I'm fascinated by his character. I really do think he's such a horrible weasel. It's almost it almost would have worked had Peter Laurie had been playing this like character. That character, yes. <laughs> However, Renault obviously needs a certain classiness to him that Claude yeah. Rains definitely does bring a certain well-spoken kind of in-charge nature to him. Yes. And Peter Laurie kind Peter of Laurie gives off give. lackey vibes. <laughs> he, he he does, and that is very much his character in this movie. I mean, his character in the movie is called Ugarte. It even sounds like ugly creature, doesn't it? Weasley a name. thing. Yeah. <laughs> that is literally what that word sounds like. Yeah. Um, and he is just in a panicked state at the beginning of the movie and then ends up getting arrested and killed. Yeah. But he he is um he is a setup for Laszlo. He's someone that Victor Laszlo did want to get in touch with because he, you know, was gonna help him with his his resistance work and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So everybody, every little character in the movie really does matter you even get sydney green street who i kind of love as well whenever he pops up in things obviously only made famously made his on-screen debut i think over the age of 60 in the maltese falcon yeah um but he plays what's his name in in this movie the guy who wants to buy ricks he always wears a fez for some reason oh yeah <laughs> um is he mr ferrari or something like that um but even he gets kind of moments to shine in the movie and these are just the these are still the build 
actors within the movie. Yeah. There's also characters underneath this. Um, Sed Sokol, who plays the waiter, he gets mo you know little scenes to really show himself. The guy, the is he the Norwegian guy that gets one scene to really show himself. There is recurring characters as well that who kind of go come back, unnamed. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's of Yvonne, course, there's Sam, of course. Sa of, yeah. of course, Sam, <laughs> uh, the piano player, the most famous piano player in movie yes. history, played by Dooley Wilson, gets moments to shine that aren't just him playing as time goes by. He yes. gets actual conversational scenes. Yes, and he Only gets a couple to, of them. Yes, and we see him try to be this protector of Rick as well. Um, I, yeah. I love how, you know, simply and bluntly honest he is with Ilsa, which we need to talk about her. Um, how honest he is with her. You know, obviously she's someone he knows and he cares about. and But he's so fearful because he knows how badly she hurt Rick. So I love his kind of defense of him and just being very blunt with her because, you know, getting into Ilsa, um, we see her kind of do this terrible thing and answers all of our questions as to why Rick is the way he is in this moment where we're meeting him, but we still don't hate her. You know, we still, she's, she has this, this sweetness and softness and earnest nature that like we can't dislike her for what she did so when sam can you know not you know be very blunt with her you know we see him kind of dance around a little bit at first but then he kind of is really upfront about how she hurt him and is not afraid to kind of stand up to her and tell her you know your presence here is not good for him um, and I love that he gets that moment to to really protect yeah. Rick in that way. And even you know, even she does kind of she does uh, convince him to play as yes. time goes by again yes. rather famously, yeah. doesn't she? So, um, of which obviously Rick isn't best pleased about. Comes storming in. No, says, Sam, I, told, I thought I told you to never play you. that song in here again, and then goes, "Oh God, what's oh, yeah." Oh no, everything, my entire life's now going to fall apart and my nice little safety net that I had has been completely broken down yeah. and that is the nature of the rest of the movie. Yeah. Now, I did want to just speak a little bit more about Laszlo, about Victor Laszlo, because I think Paul Henry's great in this movie yeah. as well. And this romantic triangle that we will probably spend the rest of this episode now talking about because i think it is obviously deeply necessary to the quality yes. <laughs> of casablanca and the celebration of casablanca and you brought up the wonderful fact that laszlo is continually presented as righteous continually presented as good-hearted and entirely pleasant and really the right person for Ilsa. Yeah. He's just not our protagonist. So yeah. naturally, as a protagonist, we go, wait, you are supposed to be with you. Yeah. That's how protagonists work. No, this movie just breaks it straight down because it, it takes that, like we said, almost, and I, I don't mean to underplay it by saying this, B-movie melodrama attitude 
Yeah. And elevates it so high yes. into this movie with this level of depth of emotion that it just becomes un you can't take your eyes off it. It's yes, it could phenomenal. have been phenomenal. It could have been incredibly soapy in this more serious, deeper plot. Um, but the fact that they do elevate it um and make it feel genuine and heartbreaking um and not just something you would see on like a daytime show um i think really again speaks to the script and the performances in really making you care about these characters and all sides of the story um you know it, it part of our mind wants her to be with rick but part of our our minds understand why she's with victor um we're not meant to dislike Victor. We're meant to see the noble nature of him kind of being this leader. Um, we're meant to feel for El Ilsa for her decision. Um, you know, she wasn't planning on falling in love with Rick and, you know, she thought her husband was dead. She didn't know, um, you know, she thought she was free to, to, you know, start again with him. Um, so, there's this clear understanding of all sides and and having you kind of really care about each perspective and understand each perspective so definitely some depth in something that could be written off as very kind of surface um or kind of soapy and even from a visual point as well if you notice this which i, I really did there's such outstanding lighting work used in this movie yeah. victor laszlo is constantly presented as a bright shining light and i mean actual legitimately visually there's just beams of light on him all yeah. the time rick's constantly in half-face shadow shadows constantly yeah. mm -hmm. and ilsa's constantly in a wide variety of different shadows. Like glows you get kind of shutter and shadow. soft and yeah. There's an there is an awful lot of soft glow. Like a glow diffuse, diffuse soft glow, yeah. About Ilsa as well. There's an awful lot of soft glow. There's an awful lot of I'm the perfect angelic figure a la Grace Kelly at the beginning of Rear Window. Look at me. I'm very, you know, presented in this incredibly soft way. I'm perfect and everybody wants me. Yes, and yes, even when I'm not is, perfect... Um, <laughs> you still, you know, are endeared to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yet there's also those scenes, and it's when she obviously starts to be thinking about um, who to choose, where do where does my heart lie, and all these kind of stuff. She immediately, as soon as that plot point comes up, she's immediately cast into shutter shadows and... Um, diagonal shadows and all these kind of stuff. There's a noirish element to the lighting of yes, this movie. Yes, and it goes back to what you talked about with every character being kind of the epitome of different stereotypes of, of characters like this. And her, you know, not being a full-on femme fatale, but definitely giving her these attributes when we kind of find out, you know, that she scorned this man. Well, she's not, she, yeah, she, I mean, she's not a femme fatale, at all yet to rick she has affected him as though she was exactly one. so when you talk about them lighting her in certain ways kind of once we discover what she's done to him you know they are playing her kind of putting her in that kind of pseudo role in, in rick's mind 
In Rick's mind, yeah, yeah. but not in ours. No, no, it's just, not, yeah. it's just Rick that we we're almost annoyed at Rick. He has to kind of we're telling him, I think, to kind of get over himself. We know it's difficult, Rick. We know, yeah, obviously, this is a very very tough situation. But you know, for for the betterment of of everything, for the betterment of helping a broken world try and fix itself yes when he knows you've you know, got to get over her. yourself yes he's seen her and at the end of the night you know he's so kind of broken by this and he's getting drunk and sitting there and waiting knowing that she's going to come to him yeah like, and this is the oh, and, and is like of all the gin joints yes scene. yes and it's like you think at first he wants her to come to him because he misses her he wants to see her um, even though she broke his heart. But when she, you know, he's right about her and, and the fact that he can still read her and know what she's going to do after all this time just speaks to kind of how how deep their connection was even in that short period of time. And when she does come to see him, you realize, you know, it was less about wanting to see her again and more about just wanting to kind of give her this verbal lashing for how she hurt him. Because yeah. he won't even hear her reasons for why she didn't show up that day to go with him on the train he immediately kind of just cuts her off and makes her feel terrible to where she doesn't even tell him. Um, and so I love that moment where, um, you know, we get more of their relationship and we see um, how he views her in, in this moment, very much like you said, like he is the only one kind of seeing her in this, in this shadowed light as this scorned evil woman almost. Um, yeah. But we, we, you know, we, are wholly with her and we we want to hear her out and so we are screaming at him like you said to just listen to her she must have had a reason because it was clear that she loved you it's clear that she still loves you so you know why would she want sam to play that song if there was nothing there for her yeah. you know yeah um of course uh, and you know as as time goes by itself has become such a staggeringly iconic part of, of movie history as well even more so given the fact that it's the warner brothers logo music. yes when you pointed that out to me i was like oh my gosh that's incredible i didn't even like pick up on that um, so you know as far you know disney can use when you wish upon a star warner brothers yes. uses as time goes by yes as it's fox used the fanfare it always used it didn't come from any movie, any movie yeah um does paramount even have music i don't think uh, i don't think it does universal um, <laughs> universal has music obviously it didn't come from anywhere yeah. and unfortunately we don't have rko radio pictures we've not had that for decades i know um, but yeah, and then just, we did. yes. And then just to kind of speak to another iconic moment and speak to what you were saying about, you know, how characters are lit. You talk about Rick being in darkness, being in shadow. Well, kind of another one of those elements that are well known to people who probably haven't seen this movie or know much about classic film, um, has Rick walking into the fog. Like that is such a mm. well-known moment yeah. of him kind of walking. Very end of the movie. Into, yes, walking into kind of shadowed, foggy darkness, kind of ready to just, you know, you know now that he Go is... Go back into it. <laughs> yes, now that he is, you know, not, you know, with his bright spot 
you know, he, he's, he just chooses to stay, you know, in, in his kind of darkness a little bit. But look, we, we've, it's interesting because look at the last line of the movie, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, yeah. a, a phenomenally positive. Yes. Line. Yeah. Yet you put it in this context of walking into fog, walking into darkness, which is not wrong. It's perfectly reasonable as a reading. So it means it, it's doubly interesting given the fact that you get that is like it's a context it's, it's a similar it's a similar thing but with a context shift yeah, yeah Why it, it doesn't mean the same thing that it did before. no no certainly not um now that's obviously the very very end of the movie we'll 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 get there but even shortly. again with that line with the very famous you know here's looking at you kid line you know the context are always was and I love you, you know, that's kind of what that yes. is. And now this is a goodbye, you know, and then it kind of turns into a goodbye in a different context. So well, Yeah, I mean, it said three times in the movie. Yes, I, I believe so. So, yeah, Twice definitely. in the flashback, twice in the flashback, and twice in the flashback? And, Once in the yes, flashback. I think, twice I think in the twice. flashback. I think twice in the Or does he say it when they kind of meet again? And then ah, once in the flashback. Once, Once when she goes again. to see Once him again. and, you know, she's trying to get the documents from him and holds him at gunpoint yes. and all of that. And then there's kind of that honest yes. moment between them where there's like, you know, you really aren't truly see that the love is still there. Rick is kind of, you know, his cold demeanor is melted away and they're just kind of hugged up together in this situation. And um, I think that's when he says it again. And it's where, you know, the movie is leading us to believe that he is going to kind of run away with her and kind of steal her from Victor and that whole kind of thing. Yes, because he's he's obviously um, taken up with the task of getting Victor Laszlo to the US, to safety, alongside his wife, the woman he loves. This is yeah. the, that's the the conflict. Yes, and plot that we're dealing with within the movie. Yes, and then I mean also, like I guess you know you can kind of say in in terms of seeing similar things throughout the film, and then the context shifting on those same things. Him walking into the fog. Fog is kind of dissipating, so it's maybe the darkness kind of dissipating into yeah. another form, and him kind of I, on this new path. I mean. <laughs> It's tough for me to even look at it like that, given that I know it was purely foggy because it was a tight studio and you would be able to see the back wooden wall of the studio <laughs> yeah. had they not so used they fog. Just... Yes, but it did um... now become this iconic <laughs> shot, an iconic known thing about this film. But it, it, it adds a certain distance <laughs> to, to that particular scene because it's obviously yeah. set on a runway. That would be yeah. very long and, and a huge area, obviously, yeah. filmed in, in, in Warner Brothers studio. Um, not a runway. So me knowing that almost, I don't even think about that element of that ending. Because I just say like, oh, yes, there it is. Nice you know, ending yes. of the movie. They're and not trying to do anything on the back. Oh, or thoughtful. Those they're, lights. Just to, yeah. they're just trying to hide Those shit. lights are... <laughs> Aren't hundred yards away? Well, they're me, on the back wall. Let me, you know, 
speak poetic about this and act oh, like no, I, I don't know what mind. I'm talking about with you know symbolism while you just no, that really makes dash my <laughs> dash my my thoughts of sounding trying to sound knowledgeable with just facts so no they were just trying to hide a bunch of shit in the background. no it makes total <laughs> sense no it makes total sense it, 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 I, I'm I'm condemning my own thought that I just kind of don't no. even think about that because yeah. I'm just thinking about that. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not good. I'd rather be treating it and, and reading more deeply into it as you've wonderfully done there, I think. Um, but, of course, the the love story elements are not as clean and pleasant as... Um, perhaps many who haven't seen the movie would expect them to be. There's a great deal of of internal conflict, a great deal of pain, as we said before, yes. primarily from Bogart. Um, but Ingrid but Bergen, as well. I mean, and, let's and call it what it is. And being pulled in several directions. She's, she's playing it all so so emotionally and earnestly, and you really feel for her. She is. She's phenomenally conflicted in this movie. And and I mean that in terms of her performance. It's played so wonderfully with such kind of teary-eyed, as you said, desperation, a hundred percent, because she needs to get out of Casablanca herself. She's obviously yeah. with Victor Laszlo. She's Mrs. Laszlo. She she needs to be with him get out there before the Nazis catch up to him. Yeah. Of course, we see him butt heads with Conrad Veidt um, a number of, on a number of occasions yeah. within Rick's, but obviously Rick's is treated as this. It's a melting pot. It's a boiling pot at mm. times, yet it's also a safe house for everyone. Yeah. There can be no violence allowed at Rick's. And when there is, when, you know, an arrest gets made uh, with Peter Laurie, for example, at the very beginning of the movie, it's kind of a big deal. And Rick has to come out and say, no, it's fine. Everybody yeah. carry on. It's over with now. Nothing to see. We're good. Yeah. yeah. Yet you've also got, obviously, Captain Renault, Claude Rains, strolling yeah. about the place, getting in everybody's business. It has everything going on there. Everything going on there. Yet it is it does have that safe house atmosphere yeah. to it as well. Where both sides, both radically opposing sides of this war can be in the same place and it not cause anything. The biggest moment of conflict you get between the two of them within that place is the the masseurs scene the yeah. the striking scene of kind of unspoken patriotism it's yeah. a fight but it's done in almost a classy way we're not just gonna yeah. and get our guns out and do all this we're gonna fight in more deeper emotional ways and in a yeah. way we can instantly win you know well yeah kind of because we, we just outnumber you 10 to 1 here yeah with French patriots and Nazis. Um, you're not going to win that battle there. Yeah. 
major strata. Um, but no, I I really like that Laszlo is continually presented as as a good noble figure. Um, it makes when Bogart becomes more seemingly determined to make up his decision and make up his mind of, okay, I'm going to run away with Ilsa. Yeah. It makes you feel like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. What are you doing? I don't want you to do that, Rick Bogart, whatever you want to call him. Uh, please do the right thing. You're going to ruin everything the world needs victor laszlo how many times do people say that in this movie the world you are very important victor the world needs you victor this is a broken world a crumbling world and i say that in a over theatrical way but it's very very true in this movie and it's very very true outside of this movie in the real world of when this movie is set was released people watching it um, again, it's a very similar reason as to why Mrs. Miniver won Best Picture, as yeah. to why this won Best Picture, uh, in terms of a fight against, you know, a, a kind of, well, no, I suppose this is more directly uh, fighting for the greater good, um, and Mrs. Miniver's more coming together for the greater yeah. good. Um, this This has more direct kind of no, we've we've got to stamp out some yeah. fight in there as well. We've we've really got to, you know, pull. You know, don't pull our punches. We we have to throw our punches, but do them in the most effective way possible. And that's kind of what Casablanca is saying, embodied entirely by Victor Laszlo, yeah. which is is you know, it's a great performance from Paul Henry. I don't quite think. I don't quite think he's got maybe as much emotional acting to do as Bogart and Bergman. Um, may, and maybe this is just down to his character being so pure-hearted that, yeah. yes, okay, there's, there's the odd scene towards the end, again, when it does appear that kind of Bogart's going to go against his better judgment and... No, I'm in. I'm too in love with you. We're running off together. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind, Victor. There's certain scenes when Victor's like a little bit, I don't know, upset, confused, kind of unsure at this point. Yeah. And Paul Henry is able to do a little bit more in those. I suppose it's what the script allows uh, him uh, to do. Yeah, gives him. Yeah. It's what the script gives him. But the script is what the script should give him because yeah. it allows his character to be his you know the most effective version of yeah. that character um but it's also why you're so so thankful because rick even kind of tricks um captain renault oh who yes <laughs> also believes he's going because he doesn't care whose side he's on he no. believes he's going to arrest victor laszlo for for you know his radical behavior um and all this kind of stuff he's not going to be, be allowed the visa out of casablanca because of course every visa has to be stamped 
by Captain Renault himself. Yeah. So he gets, he gets his authority on every single person that goes out. So if you're not friends with him, you're you ain't going, going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and there's people that we see that have been there for a long yeah. time. They are dreaming and wishing that the plane, yeah. that the, you know, the planes they are seeing tomorrow, perhaps that will be us. What that, that plane. them on it, yeah. Um, so that that is the kind of rather devious nature of of what Claude Rains is doing. Yet when he gets double crossed by Rick, um, and Rick pulls a gun on Louis, on Captain Renault, it becomes clear to us now that it was a bit of a triple cross. Yeah. Because he actually <laughs> has seen better judgment. The, the, uh, the, the, the visa papers that he had been hiding under Sam's piano that Captain Renault didn't know about. Um, nobody knew about, and Captain yeah. Renault was quite annoyed at himself when Rick tells him and where oh, they, Louis, were. they were under the piano, and the piano the whole ah. time. Yeah, <laughs> he says something along the lines of, um, "Oh, damn me for not being musical," and all this. Sort oh, of yeah, stuff. Ah, I love yes. it. Always a source of the comic relief in this in this more kind of serious film, which is great. I really do love it, um, but it's 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 very relieving when he turns on Louis. And it's not even like we hate Louis. He, we just see him for what he is. Yeah. Um you know we 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 he's he's a conniving character, but he's not evil. He's no. just selfish. Yeah. You know, he, he's just doing everything purely for get, himself. Get himself. He's an opportunity. You know, forward, yeah. Um, which is probably why he's in the position he's in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Leader of police, basically in charge of Casablanca. Yes. Um, it's a pretty important role that he plays. Um, but then, of course, we, we end up going to the runway, to the plane, um, and... Of course, it's a remarkably famous scene, but it is just an outpouring of emotion from both Bogart and Bergman yeah. in this particular scene. He lets scene. her go. He makes, her, he, he makes sure she knows it's okay that she can go, that he'll be okay if she goes. Yeah, and it's realized by him that this is the right thing to do to help yeah. heal the broken world, to help... Uh, you know, for the greater good. Yeah. Louis even realizes this as well. He's like, yeah, it was probably the right thing. Right thing, do, yeah. <laughs> okay, we've we've picked our sides now, haven't we, Rick? And they say, yes, we have. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Because um, they've actually picked the sides now. But obviously, the final scene between. Uh, Rick and, uh, and Ilsa is stunningly emotional. I mean, like I said, so much of the movie does kind of go unspoken as well, which is the sign of a great script, by the way. I think a lot of emotion, a lot of reaction say a lot in this movie without 
you know, the necessity for mass um, explanation or, or kind of a massive amount of speech itself, um, reaction and, and visuals and a lot of unspoken um, glances, things like that say an awful lot subtleties within everybody's performance sam's really good at that dooley wilson's yeah. really good at that as well in just these unspoken little looks that he'll give to convey something um but that even goes for this final scene as well of course it's filled with lines it's, it's that will always have Paris. Here's looking at you, kid. Yeah. Uh, and yes, they will always have Paris. And that's something they can both always fondly remember. That's the nature of that. It's like, yeah. this is the best thing for us all. It's the best thing for you. It's the best, certainly the best thing for Victor, who is really the most important. This is Rick's internal dialogue. Yes. It's the yeah, best. You know, this is the best thing for you, Ilsa. I really that. like you. This is the best thing for you. This is the best thing for Victor, who is actually the most important person yes, of the three the of us. It's the best thing for the cause. Yeah. It's the best thing for the cause. And look, okay, I'm going to be a little bit sad, but it's okay because... I realize why I'm doing it. And I'm glad we had what we had and we'll always and have And I'm glad we had what yeah. we had. We'll always have Paris. He's looking at you, kid. I'll never, ever forget you. Go away to better things. I will go away to better things. It's like, here's a modern comparison for you, Janine. It's <laughs> like the end of La La Land. Ah, yes. Very it's exactly like yes. that. Yes. Yes. Um, and again, just in, in breaking this down, another parallel comes to my mind of, you know, um, things in the film itself. Um, you know, we talked about the very patriotic scene where, you know, we'll always be French and you can't take that away from us. We'll always have Paris and you can't take that away from us. So, yeah, it's a lot of. And if you like France, then yeah, Casablanca is the movie for you. You can't take that away from anybody. <laughs> Casablanca is the movie for you if you really like France. Yeah, or you are French. I like it France. Really and you can't take that away. <laughs> no, it's it just it works to the best degree on every single little level. Yeah. this movie and that's why it has become what it has become because there is not an element that is not the best version of itself which is so very rare in movies like how many movies do we talk about that we that we say you know oh we love we love this certain aspect and yes okay we we, we don't necessarily remember um certain elements of the, of the way a movie comes together because perhaps it excels you know any given movie excels in one or, or any given movie excels in a few different aspects perhaps the performance the central performances are outstanding perhaps it's visually beautiful perhaps it's got really something say something uh, good to say and it says it incredibly clearly and emotionally and intelligently yeah. But perhaps you don't remember the music all that well. You know? Yeah. Perhaps 
it's you know the, there's nothing striking about the lighting perhaps some of the supporting characters you wish you had more from yeah none of or, that or exists in Casablanca yeah none of that exists in Casablanca every facet of how a movie is pulled together from depth of performance from behind the camera in all aspects of of technical side the music within the movie the meaning of the movie the story of the movie the out of context interpretations of the movie is nailed on perfect you can't say anything different yeah you might think oh we're overplaying we're not overplaying <laughs> Casablanca in its just pristine perfection in what it sets out to do yeah you might not love war movies you might not love war melodramas so you know you can happily say i'm happy for everybody to say you know casablanca is not my favorite old movie yet you cannot say that it is not the perfect version of itself so well executed yeah because it just is yeah. it just is it's incredible we'll always have casablanca <laughs> yeah, beautiful beautiful ending morgan loved that if old movies <laughs> go down the pan and we get further and further into it's a wonderful podcast we end up talking about old movies that are just like yeah it was fine you know <laughs> there might have been a few that we've you know done since you know done um in the past that have been like yeah it was okay this yeah. element stood out it was okay um we'll always have casablanca yeah to remind us that uh, of the magic of old hollywood yeah. Should um should we ever forget that? Should we become too focused on the miseries of old Hollywood? Um, if we want to bring some positivity, watch Casablanca and remind ourselves how good it can be when it's at its very, very best. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we've done Casablanca. Yeah, maybe we haven't done it justice, but look, we've celebrated Casablanca perfectly enough there, I think, Janine. I agree. <laughs> As we should have done. Um, is there anything else? If there is nothing else we would like to say, I should say. Um, it is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. This show is the main show. It is where we celebrate old movies every single week. Um, I'm very happy with the conversation and the joyfulness we've presented today. Yes. Um, but no, it is not the only show we have on this podcast feed, is it? No, of course we have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday, where I force you to watch things you haven't seen. Uh, you know, last week we got you to, to watch a big film over there as well with uh, Interview with a Vampire, as we were talking oh, yes. decades of horror on Morgan Hasn't Seen all month long. So we've had a good time with that. This week we talked What Lies Beneath from the 2000s. Uh, so please. Just about, just about <laughs> from the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, just barely. 
2000 <laughs> on the dot. Uh, so yeah, check out Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. Yes, and I said right at the beginning of the episode that this is a monster of a movie, yet um, monsters in one particular form will be taking over both shows yes. <laughs> over the course of October as we uh, get into a, an awful lot of vampires. Yeah, An awful lot. Interview with the vampire, as you've just said, was uh, the movie we covered for the 90s on the Decades of Horror series, or Morgan hasn't seen, but... For this show, the main show, and for Morgan Hasn't Seen, all October will be incredibly vampiric. Yeah. So there's something to look forward to. The best pictures end here, for now, at least, yes. on It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's been such a great little run we've been on. Yeah, of, some of great films. Incredible best picture winners. Um, You know, you forget when the oscars mattered <laughs> yeah which is uh is what 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 these movies were when the oscars mattered um people don't pay too much attention to them anymore even even though they do some good things sometimes yeah, sometimes 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 <laughs> they still they're still able to uh, and of course they still matter of course they still matter they just you know it was a big deal. Yes, like, I mean, I mean, there there were some missteps. I'm looking at you. How green was my valley? But <laughs> have you ever seen <laughs> how green was my valley, Janine? You're not there. <laughs> have you ever seen how green was my valley? No, but I know you'll how. be one of these people as well <laughs> that don't like the fact that Oliver won Best Picture in night for 1968, and which is one of my very favorite movies it is ever. One of your favorites. <laughs> I just so, know how infamously people were just like that movie. <laughs> I don't know. Over, over what it was against that year. So, you know. <laughs> you seem to be on a Citizen Kane hype train today. This is not the. Uh... <laughs> I don't know why. I do know why. It's because it's very good. Yes. That's why. It's very, very good. But it's not Casablanca. Casablanca beats it out the water as far as I'm concerned. It does. Yes. It does. It's simpler and it's more effective, in my opinion. There we go. That's all we have to say. Subscribe to the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on all major podcast platforms. We have the YouTube channel as well. It's a Wonderful Podcast. Subscribe. Ding your notification bells over there. If you want to support us on Patreon or donate in any way, uh, there are links in the description of this episode um to those if you are feeling particularly generous we can't do what we do without that wonderful support uh, and we love all our it's a wonderful podcast patrons very dearly um just as much as 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 rick loved ilsa but we don't want to let them go no on a plane to the u.s with victor we like <laughs> victor sorry I, di I didn't mean to be bad to be horrible to victor <laughs> Um, social media, sorry, temporarily forgot what I was going to say. You can find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can find me on Twitter at The Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E and the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at The Purple Dawn, all your 
perfect stuff is oh. where <laughs> you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram, threads, and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art in print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Well, unfortunately, we don't have Sam here to play it for us. Um, and will I get some sort of copyright thing if I actually decide to play as time goes by for the outro of this episode? Probably. Probably. So <laughs> I'm instead going to say, play it, Sam. Play the It's a Wonderful Podcast theme song. <laughs> Janine, count us down. Three... Oh, one. <laughs> is that a Bogart impression? My Bogart is always random gangster from, <laughs> from classic movies, so, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Bye. Bye.